This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and joining me is Mr. Matt Caraccio. Matt, welcome back. Week two of the college football season is in the books. Week one of the NFL is finishing up literally as we're basically recording right now. How are you doing this evening? Oh, I'm amazing. I mean, after a week of football, especially a full weekend of NFL football and college football, I mean, it was like the holiday season. I mean, I really couldn't get away. And to be very honest with you, this is one of the first weekends I got a chance to to watch football again. And, and man, was it uh, was it just invigorating to say the least. Absolutely. Guys, hopefully you enjoyed last week. We did the NFL Draft Report version one. We did say that we were going to have two bonus episodes last week. Uh, one of them came out, the bonus seminar series uh, that Matt conducted. And then the second one uh, was not released last week about the premium notebooks dropping. We were putting some finishing touches on that. We were hoping to get it out last week. It will be out the middle of this week. There will be a podcast that accompanies it. It will go live on the website for purchase as well. So we hope that you definitely consider checking that out. If you bought it in the past, hopefully you consider buying it again. If you have not bought it hopefully you consider trying it is the best way to support the show help us grow reach a wider audience uh you know and we want to give back something to you we never created a patreon account or anything else so this is our way is charge a small fee of 9.99 you get four premium notebooks all our uh notes and and stuff that we write down when we're watching these film guys that's the scouting notebook you get our rankings notebook you get the freshman notebook and then the draft projections notebook you know in next you know march and april as well so matt let's get right into it it was another fun exciting week of college football so let's kick it off with the nfl draft report for week two Let's start at the quarterback position, and I know we both had eyes on that LSU versus Texas game. Joe Burrow seemed to be the talk of Twitter on Saturday evening. Sam Ellinger held his own in that game as well. You know, Joe Burrow, 471 yards, four touchdowns. Sam Ellinger, 401 yards, four touchdowns. Another 60 yards rushing and a touchdown. Thoughts on those two guys, what you saw in this game from them, and, and and more even big picture, that if they continue to progress and develop as we've seen early in this year, could they be legitimate NFL prospects where teams are looking at them as maybe potential starters or at least high-end backups with potential to start? So basically I'm saying, you know, in consideration maybe for those first couple rounds. Well, I think Joe Burrows was was teetering on that to say the least, and I, and same thing with Sam Ellinger. I think what this really kind of this this entire game kind of went to kind of paint a picture for me about was that he was able to do it, you know, under situations where you know there was pressure. I mean, in terms of the the you know the the psychological pressure that went with playing a big game, and just seeing Burrows produce in that fashion and being able to kind of get it to his receivers and do things when the score was on the line, plays had to be made, down and distances were against him. You know, to see him do it under those circumstances just I think goes a long way to kind of maybe solidifying Burroughs as a guy that we're looking forward to now taking the next step. And I think that that really is something that we need to pay attention to. And I think Sam Ellinger, for the, I mean, for whatever it's worth, 
I mean, Sam Ellinger, for the most part, you know, showed his versatility as well. I mean, I, I think, you know, it, it was funny. I don't remember if we had said this or if I had heard it somewhere else. So forgive me if I'm not really highlighting somebody else's um, comment. Um, I just got vibes of a better throwing Tim Tebow when I watched Sam Ellinger play. And and that's kind of where I, I feel like when I watch Ellinger. I feel like it's like if Tebow was a good passer, then what might he look like? And I, I kind of get that vibe from him. You know, I don't think he's an all-star passer, um, but I do think that he's going to find, you know, some some version of an opportunity at the NFL level. I, I still remain uh, a fan of his. I, I do think he's a good quarterback. I don't think he's a great prospect, but I do think he's a good college quarterback. And I think, you know, Texas is, is really lucky to have him. I think Joe Burrows has, has showed that he has a potential to be an NFL quarterback. Um, I definitely think that it was the, the, the situations that he was put in and his ability to kind of show that he can handle this, those, those situations was what really stood out to me the most, Paul. Yeah, I mean, listen, I walked away very impressed with him. Burroughs was a guy I studied his film for the 2020 scouting notebook. And I walked away seeing some physical traits, seeing some individual traits that intrigued me that I came into this year thinking, if you take away the vanilla offense that LSU played with last year and you just kind of break it down to his skill set, his physical attributes, his athleticism, his arm talent, I was intrigued before the year started that he already, I thought, could have been a late day two or early day three guy just on those physical attributes. Now we're starting to see the actual development of a quarterback. We're starting to see progressions and decision-making, things more that are, are that are more than just the natural physical tools and athleticism that I thought I saw when I watched him in the summer, his last year film. So I love the development that we've seen early this year. I think LSU and their new exciting, more modern offense that we've been begging and pleading for them to do forever. I think LSU could be legitimately a legitimate contender the rest of the year. And I think that's going to put the spotlight on him and the LSU offense. And I think if he continues to play as we're seeing now, he could have one of the biggest rises in terms of perceived draft stock, perceived draft capital. So I think he is well on his way. The ball placement, the accuracy looks improved. I already said, I know he's got the arm talent. I know he's got the athleticism. I'm seeing, I'm enjoying watching the mental aspect of his game so far this year and the improved accuracy. So I think stock is very much up on Joe Burrows right now. Yeah, and Paul, I mean, I think we kind of stay with this game if it's all the same because I think there's several players to kind of choose out from a senior standpoint and from a draft standpoint that we really need to consider. First of all, if this isn't the coming out party that we needed to see from Devin DuVernay, I don't know what else needs to be said about him. I mean, he basically put Texas on his shoulders at towards the end of that game to try to make that comeback for LSU. And you're talking about a guy who's about 5'11", you know, 210 pounds, 
And he's very much built within the same caliber of all these players that, you know, we've seen really kind of catapult themselves to NFL stardom. And that's the DJ Moores and the, you know, and those Greg Dorches of the world and those Debo Samuels of the world. You know, these are the guys that are kind of becoming these hybrid slot player running backs that are potentially becoming kind of very in vogue as we move towards more of a space bank game. And Devin Duvernay is a guy that we need to keep on our radars. He was a highly touted prospect coming out of high school. He really bounced around uh, the NCAA for quite a while until he found his home in Texas. And now Texas is kind of putting it together and he's kind of reaping the benefits. I mean, you know, not to, to not to kind of belabor this in any way, but it is appropriate to kind of point out that right now on the season in two games, he's got 21 receptions for 209 yards, you know, and three touchdowns. He had 12 receptions in that last game for 154 yards. So, I mean, you know, on a big stage, you know, he put up a big game. So, I mean, it's just interesting that senior might very well see himself soon uh, down in Mobile, I think, when it comes to the senior bowl. He's got to be on that list. If he's not, then Jim Nagy out there, you got you to put him on it. I mean, he should be out there on that list right now. And um, Colin Johnson, a solid performance, not what we were expecting in terms of being that go-to guy, that guy that I thought they were going to lean on more. Um, I'm surprised at that, but I think he put in a solid performance. I think he showed all around route running and skillful wide receiver ability, the things you've come to expect from him given his size, but also the way he kind of, like we were talking about today, Paul, off the air, about how his other traits reinforce his overall game. You know, he may not be the fastest, but his acceleration feeds well into his ability to create enough separation where he has the opportunity to get leverage on players and then make those plays through contact to the ground. I still think Colin Johnson showed in this game that he's one of the most polished receivers in the country. Maybe he didn't put up the game that some of the other players did, but I don't think we're going to hold that against him. And let's just go on to the other side, Paul, to Justin Jefferson. I mean, Justin Jefferson is six foot three, 195 pounds, and I think there's not a, a, a moment that went by in that game where we weren't watching that game going, wow, Justin Jefferson, welcome to the party. Because I mean, I mean, it's hard not to, it's hard not to enjoy what he did when it came to his receiving game. Nine receptions, 163 yards for three touchdowns. Paul, I, I'm, I'm sorry, but like that was just bonkers. And he did it through contact and he did it after the catch and he did it in the end zone and he did it all over the place. He really was a force for the Tigers. Yeah. I mean, these examples that you're talking about, Jefferson, uh, you know, Duvernay on Texas, it really speaks volumes about just how important opportunity, scheme fit, coaching, and maximizing talent really impact what the pu- public perception is of these guys and in many ways impacts their draft stock. You know, you talked about Duvernay bouncing around. Now he's in a place where they're, they're catering to his skill set. They're, they're utilizing his receiving capabilities. They're getting him out in space. We see LSU running this new offense this year, really opening things up for the quarterback and for the receivers and everything. And then all of a sudden you're seeing Jefferson and the rest of the receivers shining in terms of their overall talent level. So it's just remarkable just how much scheme, coaching, opportunity really impact stock, 
draft capital, and all that comes with it. And this game and some of these players that you just brought up, I think it's prototypical of what we're talking about based on where certain people are playing. I mean, we see it at the NFL sometimes. One team's trash is another team's treasure because they find a way to to cater to an individual skill set. So I came away really impressed with Jefferson. He's a guy who I watched 29 receivers you know, leading up to the season and and put rankings on him. Jefferson was a guy who was on my watch list, did not get a chance to really dig in deep to his film. But I came away from that game really impressed, thinking this guy is a draft-eligible prospect for sure with his arrow pointing up wondering just how high his arrow can keep going. And I'm kind of excited to, you know, last week we talked about Isaiah Hodgins uh, for Oregon State as a guy that kind of came out of nowhere to make us want to go back and watch the film. I think with Justin Jefferson, while he's a name that we've known for a while with the pedigree of LSU, he's not a guy I, you know, I, I dug into in the summer and this kind of coming out party makes me say, okay, this is going to be a guy that I'm either going to go back and want to find some film on or really now put a star next to and say, I'm going to keep my tabs and keep my eyes on this guy close this year because this could be a guy that has a little bit of a rise himself. And Paul, just just without risk of kind of letting this get away from us, because I didn't mean to dwell on all these players in this game, you know, at the wide receiver position, because there there were some other decorated positions, you know, specifically, you know, when you take a look at, you know, LSU, for example, I mean, the junior Clyde Edwards Hilaire, I still believe is one of the most underrated running backs in the country at five foot eight, 209 pounds. I don't want to bounce around too much, Paul, but I'm just saying to just kind of finish off this game, were you as impressed with Clyde Edwards Hilaire as I was in terms of just being a solid back that could, that really could make a name for himself, even though it's a deep class and very, very deep, but he adds to that depth, I think, to the point where he's a guy who could, could very much go, I think, you know, day three, and it could be a late day three pick, but he could find himself in the mix in a training camp battle. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And I mean, historically, we've seen some of these LSU running backs be in the mix, you know, whether it's, you know, guys like, you know, last year it was Nick Brissett. Well, he, you know, he didn't get drafted. He was a guy that kind of intrigued us a little bit. I think it was in the East-West Shrine game. So I, I very much think he's a guy who I walked away impressed with that game. And with this, you know, new style of play, I think we're going to see him be given a lot more opportunity because the space you always talk about, we always talk about a space game. You always talk about game players in space, but when you run a style in the scheme that LSU is running now, it doesn't, it's not just about even getting, you know, playmakers in space. It also just opens up the space in the running lanes for even your more traditional running backs. You know, when, when you have a staple of wide receivers that I think LSU has that now, the defense has to account for, I think it opens up rushing lanes and opportunity for even the stable of backs as well, just running out of the backfield. So I very much think he could be a guy that we need to have tabs on this year. Yeah. Well, it's like Doug Maddox said in our summer seminar series, you know, if you're going to cover one gap on the field, you're opening something else. So the, the different bubbles of space, so to speak, when you talk about the R4 system, you cover one bubble, you're opening up another, you can't cover everything. 
So that's why the spread offense continues to be a very intriguing kind of canvas for many offensive teams. They want to make that defense feel like they're out on an island. They don't ever want the defender to feel comfortable with where they're playing. So Paul, why don't you go ahead and bring some, bring some, bring some harmony to this episode? We just kind of like took LSU and Texas and we ripped it apart for 15 minutes. Give us a little structure here. Why don't we go maybe to some other quarterbacks and then we'll work our way through. Yeah, I mean, and listen, I think that that game warranted some legitimate discussion because there was a lot of prospects. And it wasn't a week that I that I made a lot of notes of guys I wanted to bring up. I mean, at the quarterback position, a couple of things that stood out. Cole McDonald out of Hawaii threw for over 400 yards and four touchdowns. He put up really gaudy stats. Uh, I think it was week zero as well, but he got benched in that game for throwing four interceptions. So it was nice to see him kind of bounce back. He's a guy that I did write in the scouting notebook. He's got some intriguing uh, raw talent. He's got arm talent. He's got athleticism. He's a guy who I can see being a date type prospect, uh, very much a gunslinger at times, but I like his combination of arm talent and athleticism. So I was impressed that he bounced back in a big way this week. Kellen Mond, uh, obviously Texas A&M was going up against Clemson. Kellen Mond was 236 yards, one touchdown and one interception. I think some people thought that that might've been an opportunity for him to have a breakout performance, like a national, you know, game where people, you know, really, you know, Learned a little bit more about Kalen Mond. I don't think that was the case. And then Jalen Hurts, I know it was a, a game against Cincinnati, so it wasn't a great opponent, but we talked last week that Cincinnati was a, was, was a decent opponent. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm mixing up, uh, games there. Jalen Hurts. Uh, we, we wanted to follow him just in that second game, just to kind of see how he played after that first game. 14 of 18, 259 yards and three touchdowns. Still impressed with the passing statistics. I know he didn't throw a lot, but the accuracy and what he's doing in the passing game is unlike what we saw at Alabama. So those are some of the other quarterback performances from draft-eligible guys that stood out. Any thoughts on either any of those guys or any other quarterback that maybe you know came across your radar this weekend? No, I, I think you kind of hit on all the major guys, specifically Kellamond. I think you're right. I don't think that was something he wanted to kind of show on tape. I think he put down some iffy tape at times. There were a couple of air mails, a couple of missed opportunities for sure. Um, and I think, you know, Jalen Hurts, I mean, I, listen, I, I know, I know there's going to be a lot of discussion about him as a passer and how he's greatly improved. And you know what? I, I'm, I think there's, certainly merit to that discussion. Although I want to say is, is that, you know, there, there's a contingency of passes that formulate the Oklahoma passing game that aren't exactly um, tight windows. So, I mean, it, it, what I'm saying is, is that never, never quote the percentage as you're looking at a guy like Jalen Hurts. We got to look at the quality of the throws that he's making. And while there definitely are those quality NFL throws, there's also a, a vast majority of those throws that are to the running back leaking out in the backfield or the tight end on a, you know, on a, a play action kind of bootleg out to the backside as he leaks away. I mean, we're talking about some throws that if you're a division one quarterback, you could make, you have to be able to make. So I, I, that's not to diminish what he's accomplished for sure. I'm just saying is, you know, the, the passing percentage is certainly something I wouldn't focus on. And it's something I would say is, you know, try to watch him with some scrutiny as we go forward. The challenges will be there. I think he's improved. I just want to see him do it in some, um, really some NFL types windows that I can see on a consistent basis against some top, you know, top, top, top defenses. 
Yeah, and you almost wonder, you know, if you're going to see that maybe a game against Texas, Oklahoma, Texas, maybe, you know, if they're if they're on the path to the playoffs. I mean, dare we say the drama if it's Oklahoma versus Alabama somewhere in the playoff or the, or the national championship game, Jalen Hurts versus Nick Saban and Tua. Like, I mean, it, the, it just seems like already we might be on a path to that collision course. Yeah. A collision course to that. And that, that would just be something to say the least. So let's take this to the running backs. I'm going to rattle off a couple of things that stood out and then you, you take it wherever you want. If there's one or two of these guys you want to uh, kind of elaborate on. I mentioned in the tail of the tape last week, I was excited to watch Anthony McFarland out of Maryland this week against Syracuse. Maryland came up with a big upset. Anthony McFarland very much in the mix, 75 yards and two touchdowns rushing on only 14 carries also had a big play in the past game two catches 45 yards and a touchdown continue to 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 pound the table for him saying he looks like Darrell Henderson he had one play that I I believe I subtweeted it out so you can check my timeline from Saturday where he put a cut followed by an acceleration and burst that you know, were high level NFL type caliber stuff that stopped on a dime. The stop and go acceleration and burst, uh, was really impressive by Anthony McFarlane. I still think he's not a household name, but I think he will be before draft time. JK Dobbins, I know you talked about him last week. Uh, obviously Ohio State was the team that was facing Cincinnati before, uh, I, I messed that up with Oklahoma, but Ohio State was facing Cincinnati. We, we talked last week that Cincinnati was a pretty solid team. J.K. Dobbins, 17 carries, 141 yards and two touchdowns, showing that ability, like you said, to not just be a space player, not just be a guy who can run on the perimeter, but he's got the play strength and toughness to pick up tough yards and be an interior runner as well. Uh, Travis Etienne, a quiet game on the ground, only 16 carries for 53 yards did show some work out of the passing game nothing crazy in terms of like route running but showed the ability to you know be able to you know catch a screen passes and be a check down option had four catches for 52 yards I think it's important for him to at least show he can be a serviceable receiver out of the backfield we know we talked about that for him and AJ Dillon and Jonathan Taylor and they all seem to be showing glimpses of it early in this season that they could at least expand their game a little bit not saying they got to be Christian McCaffrey or Alvin Kamara or Saquon Barkley you know no one's saying that you know DeAndre Swift maybe is the only one that could maybe push to be in that narrative but they got to show that they could at least be functional at the next level in terms of their passing game so it's not Nice to see Ethan in there. And then Florida State. I mean, they almost lost to a team that they had no business needing to go to overtime to. They came out with the 45-44 victory. And what I wanted to say was about Cam Akers, because this game, the offensive line actually did get some push. It would have, it would have been pretty embarrassing if they didn't. Cam Akers had almost 200 yards rushing, 193 yards rushing and two touchdowns. He chipped in five catches, 55 yards and one touchdown. I still think... All around back in terms of receiving and rushing, Cam Akers is right there with DeAndre Swift in terms of best all around back in this class, you know, because of his receiving capabilities as well. Really impressed with Cam Akers this week and what he's done early in this year in terms of, you know, kind of putting last season struggles behind him and showing us just how special of a player he can be. Thoughts on any of those running backs? Obviously, you don't got to go for all of them. I mentioned a bunch of names there. Is there one or two uh, that you want to pick out? 
Well, I think Cam Akers and J.K. Dobbins stood out to me the most because I think J.K. Dobbins gets labeled as a guy who's not versatile enough, and I think he's more versatile than people give him credit for. And it's good to see him, you know, be you know a very solid interior runner again. I think we we attribute interior running to the ability to handle contact, and and while there's a, I think there's a reason to believe that. I think that's a little bit misguided because I think you know players have an opportunity to mitigate the type of contact that they receive when they run on the interior. You know, a very sensitive player, a very, you know, kind of a tuned player to understanding how to use blockers, to knowing exactly where to pace his tempo in order to understand how to bounce off guys. I mean, all those different types of ideas. Um that that that's that's skillful, right? I mean, we can't just look at an interior runner as your ability to move the pile or your ability to break a tackle. Yes, you could argue inevitably somebody's going to tackle you. But you can also argue inevitably somebody's going to tackle you at any position on offense, you know, whether you're playing wide receiver or you're playing running back. So I, I think it really comes down to understanding who the player is, you know, as a runner and understanding how they leverage their different abilities to reinforce the types of problems that they're trying to handle. And J.K. Domas, man. He's got amazing, amazing stop-start reacceleration strategy. He's got amazing ability to weave multiple moves together. He is not looking on the interior to make contact with you. He wants to avoid you at all costs, and that is not what he wants to go ahead and do. He will use his stiff arm to create opportunities for himself to keep space, and you saw him do that in the game as well. You see the strength he has in that stiff arm. It's his way of basically utilizing his own physical capacities to kind of, like we said, reinforce what he wants to do when a potential collision situation is happening. He wants to use his balance. He wants to use his lower center of gravity, his track style body. He wants to use that by saying, you know what, I'm just going to keep you at bay, keep you at a distance. I know that I can't really necessarily absorb that contact that well. That's not really where my strength lies, but my strength lies in my balance and my ability to weave together multiple moves. So if I can keep you at a distance, I have the ability to deflect your force. I can absorb some of that, and then I can use my balance to handle the rest. And that's what he's trying to do. I mean, he's trying to do that with his acceleration as well. You look at the same thing, Cam Akers. Cam Akers, to me, Paul, I know this is this is blasphemy, but I mean, this is the way we drafted him. This is the way I took him out of high school. Cam Akers was was as talented coming out of high school as, as Saquon Barkley was in terms of his overall traits and skill set. And now we look at Saquon and where he is, and it might sound crazy to put them in the same breath. I'm not saying that Cam Akers is as skillful as Saquon. What I am saying is is that the palette. The array of sensitivities, abilities, and athletic traits are there to be had and developed. Cam Akers is still a project, but a project whose upside is incredible. We should be feeling right now about Cam Akers the, the exact same way people were going crazy over Miles Sanders. And I think he's a better version of Miles Sanders. Yeah, listen, I agree with you. I think I do think, and I and this is coming from someone who is a fan of Miles Sanders, who was a fan of Miles Sanders before it became invoked to do. Yeah. I we were we were fans of Miles Sanders last year before the season even started on the limited sophomore film there was when he was backing up Saquon Barkley, and me and you had him in our top tens last year, saying, "Watch out for this guy. He's in our top eight. I, I think he was in our top eight last year before the season started, and we said if there's one guy who could emerge into the top." Top five from this from this class, it could be him. And I think we, you we had him on. 
Yeah, I think you had him preseason seven. I had him preseason five, and then me and you flip-flopped. I went to seven, <laughs> you went to five. But the point being is, yeah, and I think Cam Akers is a better version of that with more promise is my honest opinion. But Yeah, absolutely. So let's finish off the NFL draft report with some of the pass catchers. Uh Things that stood out this week, we already talked about a couple of the wide receivers. Uh, KJ Hill, eight catches, 57 yards, and one touchdown. Still continue to think he's going underappreciated. I talked about Isaiah Hodgins before. He followed up his week one explosion with seven catches, 96 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, Jaman Osborne against Clemson, seven catches, 69 yards. But in that game, in that setting, I, I walked away still impressed with him, thinking his stock is going up so far two weeks into the season. C.D. Lamb, six catches, 144 yards and a touchdown. Obviously, Jalen Hurts and Oklahoma rolled. C.D. Lamb was a part of that. Tyler Vaughn's another impressive performance, five catches, 100 yards and two touchdowns. And then Kobe Parkinson. I think has the capabilities to be emerge into one of the top tight ends in this class. You're starting to see him put it all together in terms of his pass catching ability. He's a guy you brought to my attention years ago when you were watching his high school film. And now he's kind of putting it together. Seven catches, 87 yards. I think the NFL is going to be very intrigued by him because not only does he have legitimate pass catching impact, impact potential, he's also got the size and frame to continue to build into that frame where he could potentially be a guy who puts on the frame and and learns the technique where he could also play in line a little bit as well and be a, a little bit of a combo tight end in addition to his pass catching skills. I think that's at least in the range of outcomes that he could kind of uh, expand his overall game and play in line a little bit as well. Thoughts on any of those receivers or Parkinson or anybody else in the pass catching uh, genre? Well, I think the biggest one was Brian Edwards. I, I mean, I think he was well and long overdue for that. And, and, and interestingly enough, Paul came at with the replacement of Ryan Helinski, which is a freshman quarterback who was in our freshman uh, was in our freshman notebook last year. And he was one of the players that I highlighted along with a couple of others um, as being a really great quarterback, a really good quarterback prospect. And um, it was just great to see Brian Edwards. If Brian Edwards can keep putting up games like that, I don't think it's going to be that long before he kind of finds his way into a consensus, you know, top, top 10, top 15 skill player. Yeah, I mean, I listen, it was nice to see him put up 112 yards and two touchdowns. Obviously, the level of competition this week was on the light side, but we've talked about him and his inconsistencies. It, we need to start seeing dominance week in and week out. So it was nice to see him put that week one performance behind him and come out and kind of dominate in week two. We'd like to see that consistently now moving forward, you know, week in and week out for the most part, the rest of this season. So let's take this to the second segment of the night. And that's the Debbie slant where we take a look at some underclassmen uh, from this past week. We're going to kind of keep it a little tight but to about five or six names. Matt, I'm going to go back to the LSU-Texas game because you talked about a lot of the draft-eligible receivers 
But there was a couple guys in this game, Terrence Marshall Jr., Brennan Eagles. Uh, I know there's another guy that you want to speak of about from LSU as well. Can you talk a little bit about these underclassmen receivers <laughs> from that LSU-Texas game, which I know we keep going back to it, but the amount of talent and skills that is on those two teams combined is just kind of staggering. And you could just see, we've talked about both their quarterbacks tonight. We talked about three or four uh, draft-eligible wide receivers, three more underclassmen wide receivers right now. What stood out about Marshall, about Eagles, or any of the other underclassmen? Yeah, I mean, the three names that come to mind on the LSU side, it's Terrace Marshall Jr. Um, he had six receptions for 123 yards and one touchdown. Paul, he he just is an absolute uh, technician. He glides on the field. He was make, He was getting himself open at will. I mean, to be very honest with you, you would say, well, if he was, then why wasn't he – why wasn't he in the you know the crosshairs of Joe Burrows more often? I, I I can't explain that. I can't explain that. But there certainly wasn't any reason to explain um, why he wasn't getting targeted more often. I mean, he did have 123 yards, but I mean, there was there were many times where he just I mean, you know, Joe Burrows wasn't looking his way, but he looked great. He looked great in his terms of his change direction speed. He just looked great in and out of his breaks. He really is. He really has absolute mitts in terms of catching the football. Um, I know that we can talk all day about somebody who I'm sure we'll talk about briefly in a little bit. T Higgins having a quite the day for himself, but you know what? Terrence Marshall Jr. is outstanding and he's a player that I think is going to continue to rise. He offers a lot of versatility at the position. I really thought coming out of high school, he was the closest thing that we had seen to AJ Green before AJ Green had come out. So, I mean, like, you know, he was that close in terms of how good he can be. And the biggest one is Jamar Chase. I, I think Jamar Chase is somebody that Honest to God, I mean, he was on our uh, freshman notebook must-watch list when we came out with it, but he didn't get a formal write-up. And I know Lawrence Chaney over at Debbie Watch has been all over it, really, really, really loving Jamar Chase. And he looked great. Jamar Chase looked great in terms of the senior All-Star games when he was coming out of high school. He is your quintessential. I mean, if you think about, I mean, I hate to use this. We keep using this comp, but I don't mean to use a comp. I mean to use it as a way of focusing kind of how to give you a flavor for how this guy plays. He really does embody a lot of what DJ Moore brought to the game. He is that thick, physical, running back, big, strong receiver. But what he adds to it that's different than DJ is he can handle press coverage. He may not be efficient in handling press coverage. There's a lot of wasted movement, but he's so strong. He's so strong in terms of handling redirects at the line of scrimmage that he physically dominates opposing DBs that are bigger than him. So his ability to get vertical and stack a defensive back is really was unbelievable. He was winning at will during that game against Texas. I was extremely impressed with what he could become, what he was doing after the catch, what he was doing at the catch point. It was like a blend. It was like a blend of James Washington meets DJ Moore, kind of sprinkle in a little Debo Samuel and you're talking about Jamar Chase. And I think he's just an incredibly incredible individual. Brennan Eagles, Brennan Eagles added a lot as well. I thought he really looked good running down the slot. He really did show that performance, that that kind of athleticism and he translated it into a much improved route runner as compared to last year. And he made some spectacular spectacular catches in terms of body control and Brennan Eagles is somebody to keep on your mind and keep watching because he's a player that I think we had ranked as one of the top 
five or six skill players out of his respective freshman class. Guys, this is somebody who's a sophomore, and right now he stands six foot four, 225 pounds. Do you understand that's a sophomore? And he can play with all that length and all that size. And he shows that explosiveness in and out of his breaks. And he shows the sensitivity to an understanding of coverage to manage, to manage coverage and find spaces and zones. He's a really impressive player. He's growing leaps and bounds. Paul, I mean, we could stop there. And I think we hit on a lot of guys, but I mean, there were other guys for sure this week to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to stay on the wide receiver theme because two sophomore wide receivers who made a splash last year, and I think you're going to be probably maybe going out on a limb, but I think one guaranteed to be in the top three or four when we're talking about draft eligible prospects next year. And I could see the other one being top five, top seven. And that's Justin Ross after a quiet opening week this week against Texas in a Texas A&M, he showed his big play potential, seven catches, 94 yards, and a touchdown. He, he was the go-to guy. He was the go-to guy in that yeah. whole game, in the beginning of that game. Go-to guy. 100%. I, you know, to me, he is at the, you know, besides Jerry Judy, he would be my number one Debbie wide receiver in all of college football. I think the sky is the limit for, for Justin Ross. So nice to see him put on that performance that we know he's capable of. And then Amon Ross St. Brown out of USC, eight catches, 92 Mm. yards and two touchdowns. To me, he's already like a technician. I already think he's a really good route runner. He's another guy who I think those, both of those guys, I think we're talking about top five, top seven guys in the position next year. I think Ross probably right at the, towards the top, but I think even, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown could be a guy who's very much in the mix as an early round guy as well. I think both of those guys showed off well this week uh, in week two. Yeah, no, no. I mean, listen, I have nothing to add to that. I mean, people who have been listening to this program now for many, many episodes have heard about these guys already. Amon Ross St. Brown is by far 100% everything we've said he is. He is... He reminds me very much of that Steve Smith caliber player. He is that Steve Smith. He plays extremely big for his size, meaning he understands leverage. He's strong. He's physical. I think Amon Ross St. Brown is what we're going to see Jamar Chase approach. So they live in that same world, in that same vicinity, within that, that world of the DJ Moores of the world. But these guys are better route runners. These guys are more deceptive route runners. These guys are more sensitive to beating coverage. They can handle the press. These guys are more polished overall skillful receivers than I think DJ was coming out of Maryland. So I'm, I'm really excited about them. And Paul, I got to throw out one more name. Um, not at the wide receiver position, but just at the tight end position, if I could. Sure. Brevin, Brevin Jordan. Can we, can we just, can we stop now and just accept that Brevin Jordan might be the best underclassman tight end in the country in terms of being an offensive weapon? Because my boy, who I love, y'all know I have a heartbeat for him. I write him little poems every night. Jaron Williams at, my, at Miami, who I think is a very underrated quarterback. He literally ran his offense through Brevin Jordan. And Brevin Jordan was getting open at will. But he wasn't getting tons of separation. He was making great catches. He was running good routes. He is an exceptionally good offensive weapon at the tight end position. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think this year we already talked about it. I don't think we're going to have those the Hawkinson, Noah Fant types, high round one picks. 
I think there's some intriguing tight ends, but I think when when Brevin Jordan's eligible, I think we're talking about a guy that could push to be a highly sought after first round tight end prospect at the impact he could make at the next level. So right there with you is one of one of, if not the top underclassmen tight end prospect in the country. Let's take this to the running back position because I put out a tweet and said, I think in a couple years, this freshman running back could be <laughs> a guy we're talking about. I know his stat line's not gaudy because 33 carries, 100 yards and three touchdowns. But Matt, based on what we've seen early in the season and what you saw of him when you watched film, what do we think about Zach, uh, Zach Charbonnet out of Michigan? Do we think he's got that upper echelon type upside at the running back position. Yeah, I mean, he does. He does. I mean, listen, he he does. He was a guy who rated number four in terms of the running back position. I had John Emery Jr. of LSU ahead of him. I had Jerrion Ely of Old Miss ahead of him. And I also had Trey Sanders of Alabama ahead of him. So, I mean, hardly what you would call basement fodder. You know what I mean? These are guys that were outstanding. And Emery is probably one of the most incredible running backs that you'll see. And Jerrion Ely has yet to really, I think, scratch the surface of his ability because of his kind of, uh, I guess it took a while to get old to old miss everything with the MLB and was he going to play baseball? So we'll see how that sorts out. But Charbonnet is exactly what you would think of when you think of a Derrick Henry, Leonard Fournette style runner. Okay, and I'm using those again very loosely to describe a player who loves to live inside the tackles through contact, but has agility in terms of understanding how to also bounce and ride off tackles. This is a guy who understands how to do spin moves. He can also handle uh, collisions that are direct, but also understands how to manage indirect collisions as well without losing speed. This is not a player who is unable to change direction this is a player who has good strength throughout he's able to he shows a lot of acceleration and real acceleration strategies in between the tackles in tight spaces he is a great interior runner he has the best contact fidelity of any player coming out of high school that year so this is a player who was built to be an interior runner he was built to kind of handle the load so to speak so i don't want to paint a picture of a player that is surprising. It's not surprising, but what is, I think, overlooked, he went to an ideal landing spot. And I mean that. He really did. Jim Harbaugh, think about what Jim Harbaugh likes to do. Remember the Stanford days, right? Can we go back to the Stanford days, right, where they had those, like, double tight ends, massive lines of scrimmage, running hard, interior runners, right? Well, just because he's doing it out of the spread doesn't mean he still doesn't love the inside run. I mean, Harbaugh lives and breathes with that run first to set up the pass. That's kind of his his style of coaching and offense. That's how he sees football. Man, he got the perfect running back to do that for him because this guy doesn't really need that much help to break a tackle. He doesn't need help. And that's on top of him being a great player in his own right where he doesn't need to break tackles all the time because he's going to be elusive in between the tackles because he can move in tight spaces and he can see space well. So, I mean, I'm just saying is an exceptional runner, a player who's going to he fit in the right system. He's in the right landing spot. I think it's going to catapult him to being considered one of the top freshmen in the country when all said and done, and rightfully so. But I do want to say is hold your horses. John Emery Jr., LSU. 
Jerion Ely, Ole Miss. Trey Sanders, Alabama. As if Alabama needs another running back. Devin Ford, Penn State. Eric Gray, Tennessee. There's some good backs in this class, guys. Charbonnet went to a perfect shot for him, and God bless him, good for him. Yeah, listen. Don't forget about those guys. Yeah, it's deep. It's deep. You mentioned a bunch of names there, you know, and and they will get their opportunity. We talked about Devin Ford on last week's show. It's fun to watch these guys, especially guys that you've talked about a lot, Matt. You've talked to me in private. You've talked to me on air. We, You know, I've read your profiles in the freshman notebook. It's exciting to see these guys get an opportunity, and some guys got to wait it out. And we'll end the, we'll end the Debbie slant by just checking in as we probably will most weeks with Justin Fields. How is he? How is he closer to the Heisman than he was the, the week before? Pretty much 20 of 25, 224 yards and two touchdowns, 42 yards rushing, two more there. I mean, he's going to be in the thick of the Heisman race if Jalen Hurts stops scoring like four to five touchdowns a week for Oklahoma. But Justin Fields, I'll say it. This week again, I tweeted it. It's hard to think that Georgia let him out of their program and didn't. I I understand the loyalty to Jake Fromm, but in a private moment, Justin Fields could have been the guy to help them get over the Alabama hump. When When people have beat Alabama in the last few years, it has been the mobile athletic quarterback that can make things happen with his arm and his legs. That basically describes Justin Fields to the T. And prior to last year and Trevor Lawrence, you know, just doing a number on them with his arm. For the most part, Alabama has been successful. And when they do get a blip on the radar, it's usually that type of quarterback. I don't know if Jake Fromm led Georgia team can get past Alabama once, maybe twice, whatever it would need to win the national championship and get through Clemson. I think they're going to continue to regret this. And as they're watching him play in Ohio State, I think they have to just be watching it and kind of shaking their heads saying, I don't know, man, we might we might have let a great one, a great one. We have a good one, but we might have let a great one get out of our out of our grasp. Yeah, and I I can't disagree with that. I want to say is Justin Fields is continuing to grow. Very much what I'm saying is, you know, pump the, you know, pump the brakes a little bit on Joe Burrows, understand the whole context of when he played that night. Same thing with Justin Fields. Let's just kind of pump the brakes. Let's enjoy what he's doing. He's growing. He's getting better. But I I really think him and Trevor Lawrence, it's just going to be that type of show. And Paul, just a couple, just two names to throw out there um, with no commentary, but just to remember, um, Maurice Washington was back for Nebraska. Okay. After kind of sorted off the field issues, he had an outstanding game with four receptions for 118 yards and a touchdown and 15 carries for 77 yards. He's becoming that all around versatile back that we saw, you know, in the Under Armour All American game. The guy that we had in the freshman notebook in 2018, we had him really high. Um, we had him high up there as probably the second or third maybe fourth overall prospect out of all the offensive players. He was that somebody that we highly regarded and he's finally kind of coming into his own. And Matt Corral finally put it together for old miss and, and looked functional at the position. He's getting a little bit better every week, guys. He's a guy to hold on to. 
Absolutely. So let's take you to the third segment of the night, and that's the tail of the tape when we take a look ahead to this week three upcoming matchups. It's a very quiet week, I think, of, of a week three of the college football season in terms of big matchups between teams or even individual prospect matchups, I think. You know, a couple things that, that I wrote down stood out. I'm, I'm excited to watch the Alabama-South Carolina game. Not so much for, you know, that I think it's going to be a competitive game because honestly, I don't think it will. I think Alabama Role, but we, we've talked about Brian Edwards on the pre each of the last two episodes. This is going to be big for Brian Edwards. I want to see Brian Edwards, even though you know his team might be outmatched in this game. I want to see Brian Edwards still be able to do some work against these Alabama defensive backs and this Alabama defense. We've seen guys have really good games against Alabama that maybe their team doesn't put up, you know, gaudy stats and can't keep it close, but we've seen wide receivers put up performances against them. I want to see Brian Edwards this week put up a pretty solid game, a six for 90 and a touchdown, something like that. I want to see a decent game out of Brian Edwards. So I'm looking forward to that. Obviously, on the other side, Alabama, you know, again, just see uh, Tua and Judy and the rest of those wide receivers. Uh, This past week, Henry Ruggs showed off that ridiculous speed on a play that it literally looked like you might have put the you might have hit the fast forward button and you were watching the game on like one X in terms of fast forwarding. It was, it just looked abnormal at the speed. Judy's obviously been killing it into a Clemson, Syracuse, Syracuse coming off a bad loss to Maryland last year. Syracuse played Clemson tough, uh, kind of excited to see that one uh, expect Clemson to win easily, but obviously Trevor Lawrence still hasn't had a, you know, star studded game yet. I think his first two games have been, you know, about, status quo average I, I you know I, I said it last week that he looked human this week even against Texas A&M I don't think he was great I think he was okay so I'm kind of interested to see Trevor Lawrence this week Oklahoma UCLA obviously Chip Kelly and the Bruins really off to a slow start some whispers that he could even be on the hot seat there already we thought he was going to come back to college and potentially light it up right now that has not been the case with the Bruins uh, on the Oklahoma side, Jalen Hurts, C.D. Lamb, and the re- you know the running backs there, Trey Sermon, uh, Kennedy Brooks. Excited to see them in this game, and then Florida, Kentucky, Felipe Franks, and Lamichael P. Ryan on the Florida side. Uh, interested to see them go up against you know an SEC uh, foe there in Kentucky, who's a solid team as well. Matt, any thoughts on any of those games that I just mentioned in terms of prospects or anything that I missed in terms of other matchups and or prospects you're looking forward to in week three? A little bit more on the Devi front. Two games I would throw out at you that should be interesting from that component. Um, Arizona State versus Michigan State, very interesting game. Um, Jaden Daniels is lighting it up for ASU. He was one of our quarterbacks that we cited this year in the freshman notebook. He was a guy that we really liked here at Saturday to Sunday. He's a player that offers a very myriad of talents at the QB position, and he's a guy who could very much be on the NFL radar in the future. And then Eno Benjamin as well. Let's see what he does against a team that we know when it comes to Michigan State, they are always good against the run. So I'd love to see what he does there. And Iowa, Iowa State. I don't know how you don't watch Iowa, Iowa State. I mean, that's about as classic of a matchup as you can ask for. And on the Iowa State side, I think you're going to get a good chance to see a player that we're excited about here as well in terms of Brees Hall, who is, again, very much in that multifunctional, skillful kind of version of a running back where he can do everything out of the backfield and in the backfield as a runner and receiver. So he's a guy that I'm interested in seeing as well, Paul. 
Absolutely. So like I said, a little bit of a light week, but there still will be a ton to talk about, I'm sure, next week. Uh, so definitely make sure uh, you check us out and see what we saw from week three in the college season. Let's close it out with the NFL rookie report for week one of the NFL season. This is when we get a chance to kind of look back at those college guys that we've been following for years, and then they finally got drafted in the 2019 NFL draft, and then we get to kind of see you know how they're doing we talked about last week you know from training camps and preseason now week one is in the book so let's just go through a couple names that really stood out kyler murray for arizona first three quarters it looked like it was going to be a train wreck it looked like cliff kingsbury was going to be on his way back to college kyler murray really struggling seemed like it was a little bit of a rude awakening that he can't just run around and, you know, have elite speed guys like Marquise Brown and C.D. Lamb to bail him out. Uh, but he kind of put it together late in the game, fourth quarter and overtime. They came back and ended up tying that game. I liked Murray's composure and I liked his ability to show development as the game went on. Something we talked about when he faced Alabama last year, poor start, but then turned it around. That was kind of what Kyler Murray showed in this game. I like the perseverance he showed. I think he'll learn the NFL game in terms of what he can and can't do. Uh, You saw his arm talent. He didn't even really use his legs much in this. I'm sure that'll change in the future. Matt, any quick thoughts on Kyler Murray before I run through some of the other skill players? No, I mean, in, in all honesty, I think you hit it on the head. I think it's it's that growing pains, and I think that that's the thing you saw from him as the game wore on. I think you saw him have to, to to adapt, and that's the one thing we have to watch as these players transition from college to the NFL. They're, they may have skill sets, but those skill sets aren't calibrated to the NFL quite yet, and we got to make sure that we understand that, that there is a transitionary kind of period here for these players as we go along. Absolutely. And at the running back position, kind of a quiet opening week for the NFL running back rookies. Josh Jacobs is just about to start his NFL career as Matt and I are recording this on Monday night. So nothing to discuss yet with Josh Jacobs, the only first round running back and the first running back taken. Matt and I's top running back prospect, Miles Sanders. What was encouraging about Miles Sanders is if if somebody looks at the stat line, they might be a little discouraged with Miles Sanders, but he played significant snaps. He, he, dramatically out-touched uh, Jordan Howard. I think Miles Sanders' stock is up. They show that he's going to be heavily involved early, and I think the lanes are going to be there. You saw some bursts and acceleration on a couple opportunities he had. I think he'd be a guy that right now, if he doesn't put up a great statistical outlaw, uh, you know, stat line soon, I would just keep sending trade offers and see what it would take to get Miles Sanders because I think in that landing spot, he's going to be a big-time fantasy producer, you know, sooner rather than later. David Montgomery on the opening Thursday night game of the NFL, you saw that contact fidelity, that power, that tackle breaking that we saw uh, from David Montgomery at Iowa State right now playing behind Mike Davis a little bit. So right now the opportunity and touches is a little bit low on Montgomery. I do think he will continue to eat into uh, that back share uh, of touches and carries in the backfield there. Darrell Henderson barely played for the Rams. So right now he's just a stash. Wait and see what happens to him. 
Uh, Justice Hill, same thing. He was a third string, clearly behind Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards. He had a couple of runs. I think he's still a guy you just hold on to. Darwin Thompson, same thing. Right now it's Shady McCoy there and Damian Williams. He's nothing more than a stash. Tony Pollard got pushed to the back burner with Ezekiel Elliott signing. Damian Harris didn't dress. Uh, Alexander Madison looks solid behind Dalvin Cook, so I think that's encouraging. He's a guy who could have some standalone value. Probably to start a running back position was Devin Singletary. He didn't get a carry till the third quarter, but he ended up rushing for 70 yards and making an impact in the passing game as well. Anything at the running back position, Matt, that stands out to you about the running backs? I thought David Montgomery played way more than the snap than the snaps represent. I mean, I watched that game and I watched the way he ran. I'm still trying to understand where the critiques are about what he didn't do on the field because I thought he looked fantastic. I thought he, yes. Okay. He was a little bit more of your traditional running back in the terms of way he was utilized in the plays that they called, but he looked great catching the football out of the backfield when those opportunities looked and presented themselves. So I'm trying to understand what that, what that distribution is going to be. You know, I mean, I understand Tariq Cohen as a slot player, you want to use him. It looks like Tariq Cohen to me is the player to own in that backfield, though, if I had to choose one. Yeah, it, it does. In terms of, I mean, they use him exclusively as a slot wide receiver. So it's going to be interesting to see if they don't get him at least five carries a game. Tariq Cohen is really going to be a, a tough, a tough guy to bank on. You, you know, you're going to get those games where he catches seven, eight passes, but I don't know if that's week in and week out. So it's going to be interesting to kind of see how that Chicago backfield shakes itself out. In terms of the pass catchers, let's start with the tight ends because there's only one of note. And that's right now Noah Fan hasn't played his first game yet, similar to Josh Jacobs, set to kick off soon. But TJ Hawkinson, over 120 yards, a touchdown. He looks like he's going to be very much involved in that Lions passing game, maybe more than we even thought right out of the gate. You know, I've been on record as saying I thought a more athletic Hunter Henry. There were people that have put out the the Gronk comparisons. Hawkinson got off to a great start, showed his ball control. I mean, his ball skills and body control in a couple plays where he went up and won the ball in the air. I, I think Hawkinson is very smooth. Great. He's going to play 100% of his snaps because he's a great blocker as well. And we always talk about why is that valuable when we talk about blocking and, and their dual capabilities because it means more, more snaps on the field, more snaps on the field, more opportunities to make a, a play in terms of the receiving game, in terms of putting up stats. So TJ Hawkinson, really impressive opening week at the wide receiver position. A.J. Brown, a guy Matt and I were very high on at three catches, 100 yards, showed some big playability, showed his patented play strength and toughness and physicality. Still just watch him and think to myself, a slightly less speed Juju Smith-Schuster. That's still what I see when I watch A.J. Brown. Uh, Marquise Brown was the star of the weekend in terms of rookie wide receivers. He only played 12 snaps, but he sure made a count with two big touchdowns, had a I forget his final stat line, but it was two touchdowns. Like 145 yards or yeah, something like that. close to 150 yards, two touchdowns. Showed that the foot injuries behind him. He's going to be a Tyreek Hill-like impact player with all the attention defenses have to give to the running game and Lamar Jackson. Marquise Brown is going to get behind defenses all year and moving forward. He is going to be a big play right waiting to happen. Uh 
I think he's a very good route runner as well. So I think he's a more advanced player than a guy like Deshaun Jackson, who was a little bit feast or famine uh, for most of his career. Uh, but I think Marquise Brown's upside is even higher than him. But even if it's just Deshaun Jackson, I think that's that could be a special player in his own right. Uh DK Metcalf had a really strong opening game for Seattle. He had uh, 89, 80 or 90 yards on like five catches. So that was an impressive game by Metcalf showing the ability to be a uh, guy that Russell Wilson is going to target pretty regularly. And one fine and actually two final names, one Preston Williams, Miami's a terrible team and they're going to be playing from behind, but Preston Williams is going to get an opportunity to shine this year and play starter level snaps possibly and make an impact. And then Terry McLaurin, he was a guy who I said he reminded me a lot of Golden Tate in the process, inside, outside uh, capabilities, can get vertical. He put up five catches, I think, for 125 yards and a touchdown. He's going to be a guy that could quickly emerge to be Washington's number one. And that's before they even get Dwayne Haskins on the field, who obviously has a rapport with him already. So Terry McLaurin, uh, Marquise Brown, A.J. Brown all shine this week. Debo Samuels already playing starter snaps. D.K. Metcalf's already starting and performed this week. Miles Boykin caught a touchdown. Uh, Preston Williams caught a touchdown. Rookie wide receiver is really impressive. Mecole Hardman might get a big opportunity in the next you know, in, uh, set of weeks with uh, Tyree Kill. Uh going down for a serious injury he's going to miss some time so these rookie wide receivers who we had a lot of question marks about they didn't take long to start making an impact though on Sundays yeah no I mean listen Terry McLaurin is a player that I hung my hat on Paul and I hung our hats on saying this was a guy that we would go to bat for in terms of being one of those wide receivers that we knew can contribute immediately I'm telling you right now another player that has yet to play tonight Paul hang your hat on him Hunter Renfro Hunter Renfro is going to have every opportunity tonight to go ahead and see, you know, what could happen. And I think that that's something to kind of pay attention to now. I think Hunter Renfro, Terry McLaurin, those are guys that I think are extremely interesting. And if I were you right now, I know it's really expensive, but man, I would just be peppering, peppering somebody who has like a Terry McLaurin or Hunter Renfro and just saying, what can I do to, what can I do? What, what, do, what do you need? What, what can we do? Because those guys I think are going to be good for a long time because of the types of players they are. I, I've, anywhere I could buy Terry McLaurin, I have. Um, places where I couldn't, I want to acquire him. And I just think that game just doesn't do me anything good though, Paul. I'm sorry. Yeah, listen, I, I, I hear you. The, the, some of these guys, uh, sometimes it's, good to be aggressive early on because I think some people still don't want to buy all in and you could sometimes get good deals and then sometimes guys overreact. And that's why I said, you know, reach out to the Miles Sanders, maybe not in a dynasty league, but a redraft league. I think he's going to have a lot of value in, in all formats this year. Uh, you know, so Listen, it was a fun week one for these rookies. It's always fun to kind of check in on these guys and see how they're transitioning, you know, to the next level and impacting, you know, dynasty leagues, fancy redraft leagues, et cetera, et cetera. And just kind of see how they're transitioning, things that we thought about them, things if we thought they could transition and stuff like that. So it's fun to kind of see uh, what they're doing uh, right out of the gate in week one of the NFL season. So there it is. The NFL Rookie Report for Week 1. That kind of closes us out here tonight, Matt. Any final closing thoughts? 
no, I would say is enjoy football, boys. Here we go. Uh, week three of the college football season and week two of the NFL on the horizon. I'm just excited. I really am excited. I think there's so many great players out there in the pro game as well as in the collegiate game. How could you not like this era of football we're living with? This this era of football right now is show me the football. The football's flying through the air. It's being thrown all over the place. Offenses are spreading the whole field. It's just a fun time to be a fan of football right now. Absolutely. And as we said at the top of the show, look for another podcast this week on the a very short one, just kind of outlining what the what encompasses the premium notebooks for 2020. Uh, really excited to launch that this week as well. Uh, if you are a uh, previous uh uh, person who bought the 2019 notebooks you will get an email letting you know that the 2020 notebooks ha- are now available for purchase we'll talk a lot about them on here we hope people who have not bought them in the past consider them as i said early on the show it is the best way to support us help us grow help us continue to do what we're doing cover our expenses servers websites uh, subscriptions that we need so we can continue to do what we're doing every single week uh and we want to give to you something in return for you helping us out and you know these collection of notebooks is a lot of time and effort that man and i put into but we greatly enjoy doing it uh we love the feedback from you so we hopefully definitely consider purchasing purchasing them as well so on behalf of matt on behalf of our sound tech engineer david nakano and myself thank you for joining us and we look forward next time taking you from saturday to sunday